Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Glorious Run Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Fitzpatrick, and joining me is my fellow co-host, Alistair Kirschpool, AKP. I might be recording a blues uh, album later tonight because my throat is a little scratchy, but man, how are you feeling? You feeling okay? Yeah, I'm actually just at the, the tail end of a cold, so something's going around. It's sort of funny to remember. It's like, oh, we can all get sick with things that are not COVID. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I'm feeling a little bit better. It's just a little bit of a head cold, a little bit of a cough. But uh, we've got a, a special episode uh, this week, AKP. I'm really excited about this. So first part of this uh, episode, we're going to have an interview with Marcel Brocky. For those who don't know, Marcel, uh, former USA men's eagle. He stepped away from the program. He's plays in Major League Rugby for the San Diego Legion. Just from I've talked to him a few times, and just everyone around the league just highly respects him as a player and as an individual. But we're talking to him, AKP, because last week, if you recall, he tweeted something out about how Major League Rugby may allow players to pick their own jersey number. And that caused quite a stir on X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it. A lot of opinions. I think a lot of people were against the proposal. So we're going to talk to him about all of that. And there's some nuance to it. And I think there's an interesting argument for it. So we'll talk to him about that. And, of course, get an update on the unionization efforts in Major League Rugby. So, AKP, before we jump to that interview, anything you want to add? No, only that it's funny how much uh, podcast stuff ends up on getting organized through through Twitter. I mean, that's how we got our start. That's right. Everything goes down in DMs, as they say. So, all right. Without further ado, here's our interview with Marcel Brocky. All right, everyone. And joining us for this special episode is former men's eagle, Marcel Brocky. Marcel, we've got a lot of things to ask you today. One, so excited that you're able to, to join the podcast and talk. We got a couple of questions to ask you today. But first of all, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? Cheers, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm well, thank you. And uh, thanks so much for having me on. Awesome. Well, we're excited to get to this interview here. So a couple of questions for you to start you off. One, you know, we've noticed that, you know, San Diego and some other MLR clubs are starting to release some player signings on social. Everyone's getting real excited for the upcoming season. You know, should we should we be anticipating any news of uh, you re-signing with San Diego or headed somewhere else? Fill us in. No, I, yeah, I, I think it's just, yeah, all this, um, we're just working through some things, you know, after, you know, we had a great season last season, I just had a lot on my mind and just wanted to just take some time with the decision of what I was going to be doing for, you know, whether if I was going to be playing again um, or just, you know, calling it there, you know, we had so much fun and, and, and such a great season, which just wasn't capped off, obviously, in Chicago, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just working through some things currently, but yeah. Um, whether I play or not, San Diego will be uh, the final choice, um, you know. So, yeah, we're, we're hoping to get those things uh, sorted pretty soon. Yeah, and I've heard you have a new role as the defense and backs coach for the University of San Diego's men's rugby team. How did that come about and is coaching something you want to go into? Um, yeah, so, yeah, that's that's obviously been a... Um, exciting challenge that I've I've taken on in the off season and and will 
you know, come through through some of the preseason as well of next year. But um, we, one of our assistant coaches and skills, and our, our main skills coach Charlie Purden is the um, head coach over at uh, the USD Toreros uh, Rugby Club, and uh, sort of just approached me uh, some way through the the season this past year, and just asked if I'd be interested in coming down and assisting with. Uh, Assisting with some stuff and and then sort of running the you know, idea of it of defence and um, just helping out in different areas, um, and it's you know it's it's certainly been such a, a fantastic start to getting to know the kids, uh, getting out to to know the club, uh, where it's come from, where they're trying to go, and um, you know your second question about whether coaching is something that I, I'm interested in. It, it is definitely something that I'm interested in, um, whether it's something like I'm. I enjoy or I'm good at, we'll probably we'll probably work that out over the course of the next few months. Um, but the main thing is, you know, I, I always want to ask myself, is it something that I'm enjoying? And secondly, is it something that I'm, you know, able to um, be pretty um, good at? Um, and, and by good, I mean, is, is, is everyone getting something out of it? You know, the players that I'm working with, the coaches I'm working alongside. So, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll take that... Uh, as it comes over the course of the next season. Hmm. Marcelo, just a, a quick follow-up question to that. You know, as, you, as you've as you immersed yourself in, in, in the college game here in the U.S., you know, with coaching, I guess what, what's kind of maybe your assessment so far and what you've seen of the, the level of competition in, in college rugby? Um, just some, some kids who are really um, enthusiastic about the game, I think, like all of us understand about the game, it's a community-based game, and once you're in it, you're in it for life. Um, and a lot of the kids that I've come across have only really been introduced to the game either in high school or now this is their first season. Um, and just the immersion of it, obviously the timing for me is great because the Rugby World Cup's on, so the Rugby World is just at its peak. Um, but I think that you just meet a lot of kids who are really interested in it and really willing to learn. So... Um, Kids are really coachable. Kids are really enthusiastic, um, and the talent is is, is extraordinary. Uh, to see where we were a few weeks ago, to see where we are now, it's it's leaps and bounds. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, I grew up in a rugby-loving country, um, so to see um, the talent pool here, and to see where you can go with that talent if you just continue to invest in it, um, it's really exciting stuff. But it's a slow, as we all know, it's a slow. It's a slow race, you know, we're not, we don't want to rush things, just want to get the right foundations and processes in place, um, and hopefully we'll be able to do that as in due course. No, that's great, and we're, we're excited to, to follow along University of San Diego as they, uh, you know, continue to build up that program. But Marcel, we're here for the, the main event, and <laughs> so, again, you, you graciously accepted our interview request. I mean, it was pretty quickly. I sent you a direct message like, hey, Marcel, do you mind chatting with us? And you're like, yeah, let's do it. So kudos, one. Love that, that you're so approachable. But I shouldn't say but. And um, so last week, you, you tweeted out uh, something about potentially MLR players being able to pick their own names. Now, the last time I checked. Their own number. Their own number, sorry. Their own name. Of course, they can. Thank you, AKP. That's why we keep AKP around. Hey, that's that's the next that's the next step is you, you choose your own name like the XFL. Hey, you, whoa, you so, might yeah. be onto something with that one, AKP. Sorry, pick your own 
jersey numbers and someone screenshotted the tweet and it had over 30,000 impressions, which is pretty impressive, I got to say. So, Marcel, were you before we get into your proposal or, or what you've heard, were you expecting or you anticipating the reaction that you got on social? Uh, I, I certainly wasn't. Um, I, I, I certainly was just like, you know, I just was, was just thinking about it. And I just, I've, I've been thinking about this idea for, you know, a while now. And if you go through my tweets, it's not the first time I've proposed something like this. Um, I don't know if you had seen the Auckland Blues super rugby team had, uh, I proposed something like that on April Fool's Day as, as sort of like a joke. And I was like, why are we joking about this, guys? This is this is certainly a great idea and certainly something that should be thought about in a more serious manner. Um, and, and, you know, I got people from like literally all walks of life in the rugby circles and from all different leagues and uh, country, countries and just sort of just had conversations, hopefully in good, in good stead, you know, just to sort of chat about it and... You know, I just, I, I, the more I got to it, the more I just had to try and think about it from both sides and I see it from both sides, you know, so I'm in the benefit of it, of it that way. Cause, um, obviously we still do it. We still have numbers assigned to positions. Um, but you know, it, it got me thinking about it and yeah, I'm just glad that the conversation's at least out there and yeah, now we can sort of just see how people, how polarizing it is possibly i didn't realize it but it's it's quite a polarizing opinion yeah certainly got people's people's emotions up i mean i think i think it's one of those things where you get the you get the traditionalists who don't want to change a single darn thing about the sport and uh would happily freeze it like it is forever and then you get some people who just want to change everything so i guess it really reflects how how the uh the rugby community is divided on these things. That's so true. Um, it's so true. I think, you know, to your, to your one point about changing everything, I just, you know, the game itself is, you know, the game itself is, is different to what the game was uh, last year, let alone like 10 years ago. You know, it's, it's a completely different like look about it. So it's, it's constantly changing, evolving. Uh, players look different. Uh, you know, the game itself is different. The, what I was proposing is is not changing the, the true nature of the game, the values of the game. It's really just like, let's just have some fun with it. And it wasn't for everyone, clearly. It, it, was, it was really just a, a message just to, with regards to the American game, to the USMLR, um, and just seeing it, you know, because... I don't think we realize how many people actually are looking and watching the MLR without actually saying anything. They're actually really looking at it, seeing the value, seeing the product, seeing the actual performances on the field and thinking to themselves, wow, something, they're doing good things over there um, and they're trying different things. And like, we shouldn't be afraid to be that market that is like, you know what, we're going to try something different this season. Um, and who knows, it could catch fire and the rest of the rugby world sort of sees it and is like, wow, that that actually worked. Um, but yeah, again, like I said, it's a, it's clearly a more polarizing view than I thought it would be, but yeah. Well, Marcel, when I first heard the idea initially, yeah, initially I was a little skeptical because I was like, I, I don't know, there was, maybe there was a part of me that when I played, like I really attached myself to a number, you know, I primarily played 
scrum half, and I like that number nine on my back, but you know, I like to think I'm an open-minded person. So Marcel, give me the elevator pitch for, for why it's a, this is a good idea for players to be able to choose any number. Well, again, you know, it's it, I look at the landscape of the the MLR and I, I, I see how it's growing. And um, I've heard, like, you know, we're in different – we're all in different avenues as teams, but ultimately we were all in similar positions where we're, we're trying to grow the game within a, a certain constraint of financial securities, you know. Like, owners want to stay with it and, and provide as much as they can, but, you know, is it – is it a like likelihood that we'll be able to maintain this as you know like just the general world continues to become as as it is you know a more expensive place and a diff, more difficult place to live in you know and the, the way I see it is that you know by players having a identity and a personality that is assigned to a number which to me doesn't seem such a big deal but as we've spoken it, it's clearly more big a bigger deal than what I initially thought but you know, it gives it gives players an opportunity to be uh, part of a you know a community where they are seen as a more uh, a, 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 a larger presence than just um, another player within the team. Um, you know, these numbers they they seem like a they're, they're such an insignificant thing at the end of the day when it comes to my mind when it comes to positioning, but. When it comes, what, what I'm trying to get to is that we, as a as a player, as a player within the MLR, we need to find ways to lessen the stresses on our clubs and put more emphasis on ourselves as personalities and marketing products uh, in order to go out there and and create a revenue stream for ourselves that is linked to ourselves as a personality. Um, if what I'm trying to say makes sense, um, you know, I look at I look at how the NIL deals have completely changed college football. Um, you know, like players are now making decisions um, whether or not, not just to enter the draft, but, you know, I could make, they could make more money uh, staying in college just purely because of these NIL deals, because their names are linked to these amazing uh, businesses and organizations that want to be um, associated with these players. Um, and I think that the same thing could happen to rugby players within the American market. Um, I think that, you know, having a, a player's number with a sponsored jersey where it's just their number or, you know, I think Jamison Farnana Schultz actually spoke about it in a tweet the other day. He said, you know, like if, if a kid wants to buy a jersey that has a certain player's number on it and their name, that then players could possibly get like a certain amount uh, back on those jersey sales or T-shirt sales. Uh, because ultimately, you know, like I don't think that – I think kids these days – are looking for role models and those role models in rugby are linked to a jersey and that jersey has a number on it that they'll remember forever and they'll actually remember the person more so than just the, the jersey and the number if that makes sense to you like the, we're looking at people uh, on in a completely different uh, spectrum yeah and, and marcel real quickly on that yeah i, I think l player licensed merchandise needs to be a thing right so jerseys name and number t-shirts posters, bobbleheads, trading cards, you name it. You know, look at what the other leagues in the U.S. are doing. There's certainly a model that can be replicated. And I think that, that comes from having a strong union. We'll get to some of those questions in a moment. But, you know, I think what I like about the U.S. sports professional scene is that, um, you know, some teams will have phenomenal players where 
they'll retire the jersey number, right? That player has become such a huge part of that franchise, and they esteem that player, so to speak, by retiring a number, right? So that number is not available for anyone else to wear. There's something that's, I think, kind of cool and neat and special about that. And again, it's just a number, right? Like, I I know Tom Brady plays quarterback. I I don't need to know that his number is 14, right? He could be whatever number between – 10 and, you know, 19 or whatever it is now. So, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I think I might be coming around to your idea, Marcel. I, you know, it's growing on me. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're not just appeasing me on the I – hope it, I hope it's a real thing. But, yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying, you know. And I had numerous replies, you know, about this is an easier way. It's an easy way for play, people to understand the game. And I get that, you know, like, you know, when you come to a game, you're looking at like how the number assigns to the position. Uh, but when you like uh, that probably works at a more amateur uh, club level. But, at, you know, like the professional level, if you come to a game, you're going to see chaos no matter where it is. You know, um, you know you're going to see some incredible athletes that have numbers on their back that assign themselves to a position that doesn't seem like that should be their position. You know, props are touching the ball far more these days than wingers, you know, and wingers are meant to be scoring tries, but hookers score tries. So it's like, at the end of the day, like, how do you actually differentiate someone um, in with the number on their back, you know, because you'll see flankers with six or seven on their back and they're in attacking shapes on the edge. So if I'm an amateur viewer, do I assume that six and seven is a wing? It's no, it's not. You know, like the wingers these days are looking for work um, off the fly off. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I had an interaction with an awesome uh, um, person on Twitter who said, you know, like you like uh, the, the position, of the, the number on the back assigns you the position. It's like, well, I saw Damien McKenzie with 15 on his back and he was playing first receiver off nine for most of the game. So like, what does that mean? Does the is the fifteen fly off? Like no, he's not. You know, it's a very fluid and chaotic game, and I just think that the numbers are more a traditionalist standpoint of what rugby is rather than an actual uh, stronghold of what it actually assigns you to do. If that makes sense, it's a really good and interesting point, and it's interesting that you mention the numbers maybe mattering more at a, an amateur level because when I was in when I played rugby in high school we actually did pick our numbers because we, you know, you, we had to buy our own jerseys and you got, that was your jersey for the year and you, you couldn't have conflicting numbers. So I ended up with the number 42 because I, <laughs> yeah, mostly oh, as a Douglas Adams like reference, that. but so maybe, <laughs> maybe so like the, uh, in some places it's already been abandoned at the, the amateur levels. So maybe, maybe that just needs to work its way up into the professionals. AKP, I think, you know, before you even said it, I think you're already a fan of this idea. You were were on board before I even tweeted it. So, I mean, yeah, but but I'm interested to hear your guys' thoughts as well about it. You know, I'm sure you guys might have some thoughts that are different or questions. And I think, like, it's important that, like, you know, we talk about these things that we have these conversations because I think you guys are, you know, the bedrock of, you know, growing the game as, as much as anyone who's a professional. You guys are speaking to the communities. You know, you guys are obviously on the ground with your podcast, reaching out people within your areas as well. So, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to, to know your thoughts as well. AKP, I'll let you go first. Yeah, well, the the 
the big point that I saw on social media, the one thing that I found really convincing as an argument against was um, what do you do with the ape man when the ape man doesn't necessarily have an eight on his back? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So certainly so, I, I, you know, like again, you know, eighth man is part of the back row, you know, and, and, I'll, and I'll go back to the point of, you know, like once the eight, if the eight is substituted, then number 20, 21, 22, or if you're South Africa, 23 will come on and he'll play eight, you know, and again, it's, it's all just positions that we, as rugby fans and as a rugby community, we have a, I don't want to say a responsibility, but we have a duty of care to explain that rugby is a fluid and moving game. And you can find yourself in different positions at different times. And other than the set piece, the number eight, you know, especially in the scrum, the, the number eight doesn't really hold much standing, does it? You know, like you, you're, you're, you're scrumming in the, at the tail of the, at the scrum and you have the eights on your back. And other than that, I don't really know where it holds any true meaning other than you're called the eighth man, if that makes sense. You're the eighth man of a pack of forwards. I think that's essentially what I've, what I've come to understand. The nine is the link. The, the halfback is the link, I should say. You know, then there's the, the fly half, and then we go from there. So, yeah, that was that was sort of my counter-argument to... I, I did see that that uh, the response on Twitter, and, you know, I, I laughed because, you know, you're right, but also it's, guys, come on, like, if we're, if we're going to be picky here, then, um, you know, what, what are positions? Yeah, I guess, I, you know, it's funny because um, I'm 100% on board for... Uh, players having their names on the back of the jersey i just think from a from a marketability standpoint like that's huge fans need to be able to purchase the jersey the number thing i know i, go, I keep going back and forth but for the for the eight man why can't we just change that to we'll just call it a new position they'll just be the caboose you know, they're the caboose of the scrum so they're the caboose but um, <laughs> you know yeah. but um but oh oh for the new fan right i, I guess maybe it's Maybe sometimes it's too inside baseball when we're because you know we know the sport right we know what the the numbers on the back of the jersey mean but for someone who's new to the sport what does the number two really mean okay that's the hooker but like okay like I just need tell me what a prop does in the scrum or tell me what a, you know the lock does or who lifts in the line out but like doesn't matter if they're four or five a flanker is six or seven like what does that mean to me like tell me what the position is educate me on the position and then if I can see their 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 name on the back. And, you know, if, I don't know, Marcel Brocky is number 99 out there, that's kind of a cool number, you know, so he plays center. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I think, as I said, it's our duty of care to educate, not through just saying this number is that. It's about educating the understanding of, yes, uh, the hooker throws the ball in. They are at the lineout. They also are the centerpiece of the scrum because they'll hook the ball in the back. I think we stop our explanation to new fans that the hooker wears two. That's it. And, and, and that's and that's where we, we finish. So um, I, I, we've been doing a lot of uh, work in schools these days uh, to try and grow the game. And it's amazing how simple this game is. The rugby is the simplest game made complicated by us as fans who just want to see them and speak about different things. It's like, well, when you actually get to the crux of it, it's run towards the other goal line and pass the ball backwards. You know, like, 
but just make sure the, the, the pass goes backwards and try and score by the opposition line. And our preach is that like this game is for everyone. It is, and that, and that to me is the truest form of rugby is that it is for everyone, every shape, size, gender, whatever it is. Um, and that if we're suddenly assigning people to certain numbers, then it's like, okay, well, clearly you have to, you can't just be a, a bigger person and play in a, in a different position because you've been assigned that number. So, yeah. Yeah, I think those are good points. I mean, I think the question of, of how we educate new fans on the game on how we how we bring them in and teach them properly i think it really is a, a bigger discussion and maybe holding some of these traditional things a little less sacred you know maybe we just print the the name of the position on the jersey under the number you know <laughs> yeah. number 99 yeah. center <laughs> just put it put it right up yeah, there I like that. you know that might might even be the the yeah. best idea yeah yeah, I had some uh, English. Uh, I had some English interaction, and they was talking to me about the letters that Leicester Tiger, that the Leicester Tigers obviously had, and you know that just, that was that was also a wild idea. But I wasn't opposed to it. I liked it. You know, I like I like that my I like that this uh, real like tweet that didn't wasn't meant to mean much turned into suddenly okay cool i'm opening myself up to people using letters <laughs> um and what, what you know you just you gotta roll with it i guess uh, but again yeah like I, I love this game so much and like just like all of us you know i just want to see it thrive um and thrive and, and thrive locally as much as anything yeah so before we let you go here i wanted to take a slightly different tack um You've been very active in discussions around the recognition of the USRPA as a, the official union of MLR. And so I sort of wanted to to get your thoughts on that because I don't know how much our listeners and fans in general know about that situation. It's the sort of thing that goes on behind the scenes and it's not always easy to follow as a fan. And so um, I wanted to... It, start off if you could give us a, a bit of background on those discussions how they got started and sort of where things are now yeah so it's you know it's essentially just a way for us as players to to, to feel as though um we're part of the discussions of this league going forward um and it's you know it's 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 as simple as that uh, you know it's 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 us just trying to make sure that when decisions are made around how the league continues to grow and thrive, um, that we as the players who are on the field um, and being a part of this uh, this league, um, and in times, you know, a lot of people have sacrificed so much physically um, and emotionally. You know, you sort of, um, you want to feel as though um, what you're doing is, is recognized beyond just, you know, you being getting a pat on the back or, uh, a paycheck, um, big or small, at the end of the month. You know, you want to feel as though you're creating something and you're part of the legacy going forward. Um, and, uh, you know, the USRPA, uh, led by uh, Nick Saveda, um, and uh, it's it, it trying its best to try and work with uh, the MLR to try and make this something that is will be a sustainable, um, feasible um, and, and ultimately an amicable relationship, you know, between the league, its owners and the players, you know, like, um, 
and, and that's all it is. It it it, it seems it, it seems as simple as it is because it is that simple. Yeah, I mean that's a a good a good way to put it. I mean, I, cards on the table. Personally, I don't really see why anyone would be taking an issue with unionization efforts to be, to begin with. But um, what are sort of some of the areas of concern for the players? Like, what are the 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 issues that really made it apparent to you that that this was something you needed to do? Oh, you know, it's it's just basic level of care um, for a lot of players. You know, sort of um, in some instances, you know, it, it would be you know um, um, insurance uh, for players. Uh, you know, possibly for families, uh, just having a, a good insurance scheme uh, so that players feel protected and covered um, throughout their their tenure at, at whatever club it is. Uh, certain standards uh, with regards to. Um, uh, playing, uh, training, um, and traveling, um, and uh, just you know trying to trying to find a way to create a good enough discussion that um, you know that you know as the league continues to grow that our standards um, continue to to maintain at an elite level so we continue to attract um, you know one uh, attract the right. Um, the players who are certainly have the talent to play rugby, but want to continue in the league because they feel as though, yeah, this is a league that seems to listen to listen to the the people that are literally on the ground, um, and continue to grow with it uh, that way, um, as well as attracting you know international caliber players who who see it as something you know, cool. You know, like I feel as though I can come there because I'll be looked after um, in a way that's you know, um, that I've been used to um, wherever I've come from uh, from an international standpoint. Marcel, last question for you here. Um, legacy. That's a it's a big it's a big word. Uh, you've you've been a you've been a humble servant of the game here in the U.S. and abroad. And you know, as your exchange on social over Jersey's number showed, uh, you have no issue having some dialogue uh, with fans. Um, I guess when you think about legacy, what do you want? Maybe like your coaches, teammates, and, and fans to remember about your playing career when it's all said and done. Um. Yeah, I think um, a, a coach once said to me and and a group of players that I was in that you know you'd never really know um, how good your team was until you see them again in twenty years' time and you see the human beings that they are, um, and ultimately that's that's sort of the legacy that I'd love to leave is that I was a very approachable, uh, very coachable, um, and just, um, just an all round good bloke within the, the organization that I was in. Um, always trying to, uh, maintain standards, but push standards at the same time. Um, and just be someone that was, um, as I said, approachable, uh, from a, you know, from any standpoint within an organization, you know, like I, 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 I never want to have, seen like every, anyone's time was was not enough for me um and that the game um that, that i was trying to improve the game um for both my team and you know ultimately usa rugby um whenever i tried you know i i hope that i was able to you know improve it and leave it in a uh, a space where it was able to improve and get better uh, after i was able to um be a part of it oh Marcel, that's awesome Appreciate your uh, your time answering our questions today, and who knows, maybe AKP will 
we'll turn on the TV come February and we'll see you running out with the San Diego Legion wearing jersey number 99. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, if if the league passes that by the NAKP, I'll I'll choose that number just for you. Or forty two. I'll I'll think about both. Yeah, either one. Thank you so much for your time. No, I appreciate you guys. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, so that was our interview with Marcel Brocky, AKP. A very interesting interview. I wish we had more time with him. Uh, what did you think of the discussion around the jersey numbers? Are you sold? It's one of those where I'm like you. I'm I'm much more convinced than I I used to be. In some ways, I think it's one of those things that like numbers specifically for positions is a really nice flavor it's unique to rugby in some ways at the same time i really i really can see the argument for each player getting their own numbers and you know really increasing the individuality i think explorations into ways that you can have both the position clear from looking at the back of the jersey and some uniqueness something that that makes it really identifiable for the player sort of some combination something creative i think would be good i think there's room for creativity more than i i realized yeah i think i I, i'm I'm right there with you too i think um you know initially very skeptical and i don't think i consider myself a traditionalist and certainly the traditionalists in rugby they are they are rampant um and any little changes you know but rugby has made changes over the years i think because it had to um is this something that MLR and, you know, other leagues and unions around the world would go for? I, I don't know. I don't know if, if they're willing to step out that far, but um, I, it's worth having the conversation, right? It's, it's worth having the discussion. And the simple fact that a question like that can blow up, so to speak, and it did. I mean, a lot of people weighed in on the topic. I think it was, it was kind of one-sided, but it was still good just to see the passion and the fact that, you know, and again, I don't think Marcel had any expectation that that tweet was really going to stir stuff <laughs> up. So, <laughs> yeah, well, and good, good on him, uh, yeah. you know, really wanting to improve the game and really, you know, keeping his mind open to these sorts of things, not just being limited to the way we've always done things, which I think feel like can be the the easy tendency, the sort of instinct of all of us who are very involved with the game. And obviously, you know, we all like the game as it is. That's why we're already fans. But, you know, looking at ways that we can, you know, change the game that doesn't that doesn't ruin the things that we like about it, but also opens it up to new fans and to people who for whom the game is not necessarily as engaging as it could be right now. Yeah, and, and, and my last point on this, uh, and Marcel, when he closed it out on just kind of like, you know, his legacy and how he wants to be remembered. If you go back and look at that thread, he responded to pretty much every single person that wrote back to him, even if some of them were like, this is the stupidest idea. Like, what are you thinking? Um, good naturedly and with good humor responded back and gave his side, even if it was kind of one sided. So, you know, respect certainly to Marcel, because he didn't have to. I mean, he could have yeah. just been like, well, I'm just going to ignore this, you know. Um, but uh, it was, you know, it was cool to see that he, you know, had no problem sharing his opinion. Again, there's, there's no reason for people to get mad or upset over such, you know, a trivial topic. But, um, yeah, kudos to Marcel to, you know, to play along and, and respond to everyone else on, on, on the thread. 
All right, now we're going to jump into Old Glory DC News, AKP. A little bit of some signings and re-signings here. Do you want to lead us off? Break it down for us. Who are some of the players that Old Glory DC announced in the last couple of days? Yeah, so so last week, you know, just after we recorded, typically, um, Old Glory announced yet another experienced back three player coming out of Europe, uh, Perry Humphreys who played, he's a 28-year-old, played 106, has 106 caps for the Worcester Warriors, who, if you don't follow European rugby, um, top-end premiership team, um, really successful in recent years, but then collapsed um, because of some really dodgy finance (laughs) deals and stuff like that going on behind the scenes. it collapsed very suddenly and um, just doesn't, the team doesn't exist anymore. And all of those players were sort of left out to dry. And a, a lot of them have found new homes, but um, Humphreys was one of the ones that hadn't yet. And now he's going to be playing for Old Glory. So that's, uh, it's yet another player that we're getting out of one of those top, top four leagues in the world who is you know, intensely experienced, but not yet past his prime. I mean, you know, 28 is not too old for a rugby player, not by any any stretch of the imagination. So it, it, I mean, when you think about the the number of 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 top back three players, now he played primarily winger, I think, for Worcester Warriors, but he seems to be shaping up to be a, a fullback for us. It's it's amazing we're gonna have the experience we're gonna have in the back three. AKP, I mean, just go through the back three signings just in the last two weeks, right? So Humphreys, Hoyland, and now Muller. Muller, I mean, whoa. I mean, if we talked about, about that, I think you brought that up. Like, that's a, a position that could be upgraded in the offseason. And dang, I think OBC on paper right now in the offseason have hit it out of the park with some of those signings. Yeah. Yeah, for a position that normally we've taken – whatever young gum we've we've just signed to the team we stick them out on the wing and now it's like you know there's going to be some serious competition for those those positions um a big thing to watch at this point is going to be foreign player signings because or foreign player slots because right now i mean none of these guys that we've we've signed are domestic count as domestic players now maybe muller gets some sort of consideration for the fact that he really 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 wants to play for the usa he's done everything he can to try and convince world rugby to let him play for the usa but you know humphreys is not a not a domestic signing and neither was hoyland and it it could how many of these guys we see on the field at the same time could be limited by that yeah and you brought up a good point like what does it mean for the rest of you know, the wingers we had on the roster last year, you know, those young guns who were starting to get some playing time, right? And Sheehy being one of them, Rizzo, I mean, they're going to be fighting for roster spots here. And good, I think competition at every position is needed if you want to build a championship team. But, you know, it'll be, be interesting to see what happens with those players um, and how they how involved they stay in the mix. But, I mean, on paper, what a signing. So Yeah, yeah. You're still going to need those domestic guys. Yeah. I mean, we just re-signed Taboulis, great player, domestic player, and that's important. You're still going to need players like Sheehy and Rizzo to 
to fill in as domestic options back there. And depending on what the rest of the roster looks like, you might not be able to afford to put some of these great players that we've just signed on the field. And so you, you'll probably see, end up seeing more of them than you'd expect to given, given the quality of signings coming in right now. Yeah. Let's, let's move to the Ford pack because there was a plus and there was a minus. Yeah. Let's start with the plus. The plus is a Jack Iscaro returning, which is, is not a surprise. I mean, I think I, I think I heard from the, one of the owners just just before the New England match, um, the the semifinals last year, he was like, we're never going to let Jack go. No way. I yeah. mean, he's... Local kid, no way. Local yeah. hero, absolutely fantastic player, domestic player, one of the de- best domestic props playing right now, and, and really just a... Uh, quality lad and you know no surprise to see him back but but very much a very much a positive now cover the uh the minus here because he was a little bit of a fan favorite of ours with just his temperament and his feistiness um what uh what 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 was the uh the player that has moved on from the roster yeah very surprising this one because he was one of the top handful of of hookers in the entire league but new nick suchon has moved to the utah warriors mm. they announced his signing last week and that is it's very much a surprise and it really <laughs> makes me wonder what we're going to do with the hooker position moving forward it makes me wonder if there are some big signings in the waiting in the wings mm. but you know he had i think close to close to a thousand minutes played for us certainly 800 or something he was a, a pretty much a staple I, th- I think there was only maybe one match that he didn't start and I think I remember expressing some skepticism about him coming in because he's before he played for us he was one of those guys who sort of hung around the NPC but didn't really make it onto rosters very often. And then he came to us and he was just fantastic from the get-go. Seven tries scored. I mean, just a a quality option there. But yeah, he's going to be playing for the Utah Warriors next year. So good luck to them, I guess. But Yeah, they got a good player and they got a, a feisty player. I think that's what I like most about Nick was that he was always mixing it up. He had no problem backing down i think he loved john and other players but seemingly the the early part of last season he was like a ball hawk ball hawk excuse me that five meter line out and it was going to the back of the mall there nick suchan was scooping it up and they were driving over it and he was scoring he was definitely the beneficiary of the lineouts that we were winning in the early part of the season dotting down and getting tries so certainly a big loss but hey next man up um you know, wish Nick the best of luck in there in Utah. Utah might be my favorite Western Conference team just because of the style that they play. So Nick, you know, maybe Nick wanted to go up there and maybe that style of play suits him better. So uh, we'll see. We'll have to check the schedule when it comes out to see when we play in Utah. That could be a very interesting game there. But AKP, I got to move over to um, a little bit of like, a, let's call it OGDC player 
rumors. Okay, these are just rumors. We're just putting stuff out there. So, uh, USA Eagle Tommaso Boney, Bonnie, Boney. Name check. That's a good question. Yeah, I've always said Boney in my head, but I don't know if that's correct. We're going with Boney. He has just left Zebra, or he's going to leave in November. And there's rumors that he's going to come to MLR. And I'm not saying he's going to, he's linked to OGDC, but he is a center. You know, that could be a position we're potentially looking at. Um, what do you think? I mean, leaving in November, that leaves December, January, February. He is a cap eagle now. So it seems like Scott Lawrence probably wants him, keep him a little bit closer to his new home now. Do we... Do you envision him coming to MLR? And if he does, is Old Glory DC a good fit for him? Would Old Glory be a good fit for him? Yeah, uh, I do. I have heard. I have heard some rumors that he is coming to MLR, and I think I think OGDC fans have reason to have some hope that he might come okay. here. Um, I think he would be a good fit. I mean, Threaten Palamo. I don't know if he's confirmed not coming back, but he's he's getting up there in years and and not likely to do a lot of playing, even if he does come back. And we could really use another big-bodied center, another sort of true 12. And I think yeah, and he comes in as a domestic option, which is always very important, and especially when you consider Doug Frazier retiring as well. Mm-hmm. We've sort of lost a lot out of the centers and having having another center coming in with his experience would be would be big yeah so we'll see we'll see maybe maybe he he straps on the red white and blue old glory dc we'll see but akp i want to move on to another player that i think is a maybe a favorite of yours from back in the early years but Former prop Steve Longwell, who left MLR, was playing in Europe, was playing for Jersey Reds. The Jersey Reds withdrew, folded, I guess. Maybe that's the right word to put it. He has signed a short-term deal that will see him play, I think it is Zebra, through, it just says short-term deal, which means that theoretically he could potentially, maybe, hypothetically, be available in January or February to come back to MLR and Old Glory DC. Is that, I mean, are we, are we reaching at straws here or is there, is there something to this maybe? I mean, that's one of those where I've heard, I've heard a lot of people mention it as a possibility, <laughs> but I, I have yet to hear anyone say anything with any certainty or anyone with inside information say anything with certainty. I think he'd be great coming back he was he was great a couple of years ago um he was really sort of one of the 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 first great tight head prop that old glory had after the disaster of the 2020 season um i i i feel like the owners would would take him back in a heartbeat if he if he wanted to but we'll have to have to see and again, I try to throw out as many qualifying words as possible that I could think of hypothetically, potentially, maybe, yeah. possibility, could, should, would. Yeah, this is all <laughs> all speculation. This is all like <laughs> we're just putting together the fact that he's available or potentially available. Yeah. 
and he's got a connection to the club. He could come back. We'd probably take him back, and it'd be cool. It'd be cool if it happens. It would be cool. And yeah, it would be cool. So we'll see. If not, I'm sure there's a plan. Steve, if you're listening. Come on, come on back. We we'll find a spot for you on the roster. I'll talk to Simon. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. AKP. So that's Old Glory DC news, um, unless I missed anything. But um, across Major League Rugby, there's been a number of uh, signings and, and re-signings. And I don't want to go through all of them because there's been quite a bit. I just want to highlight a couple of them. The Chicago Hounds um, rebuilding their roster, bringing some players back. They've re-signed Bryce Campbell, you know, Cap Deagle in the centers there. Uh, Billy Meeks is coming back. Uh, they also signed uh, former former or he, he was a Georgian international prop, Zarabe Zivania. I think I pronounced his name correctly. But if there's ever a country where you go and get a prop, it's Georgia. And Chicago went and got a big one. I mean, the guy's a bull moose. Um, <laughs> interesting pickup for Chicago. You know, they're making some moves here. You know, I think they did win a game in their first season, which is great. Uh, but it probably didn't go the way they wanted to. I think they won three games last season. So it um, looks like they're putting together uh, a competitive bunch there. The Houston Sabercats, this was just a couple of moments ago. Uh, and interesting, they re-signed former crossover guy who they brought on at the end of last season who sneaked onto their playoff roster somehow. Wink, wink, nod, nod, play eligibility rules or whatever. But uh, fullback, most primarily, I think it's uh, Lina Latu, who – is he capped Eagle yet? I know he was kind of like on the traveling roster, but I can't recall if he's got minutes yet on that, that last tour um, in August. I think he has, but I can't yeah. quite remember. Can't remember. Yeah. But if it has, if he is capped, it's only a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. And I bring him up, one, because you know I think it's an interesting story there. And he, he played well with, the American Raptors in last year's Super Rugby America's League. I think he made, you know, team of the week down there a few times at fullback. But, you know, if he's coming in at fullback, Houston, you know, they drafted Max Schumacher, right, that fly half fullback out of Cal. Really would love to see Houston try and develop him as a fly half. Um, but, they, you know, some interesting maneuvers and, and stuff going on down there uh, in Houston. I want to bring up the San Diego Legion. This is an interesting re-signing, particularly as it relates to the men's Eagles, but the San Diego Legion have re-signed Christian Poitivin through the 2026 MLR season, which I think, I don't know how soon, but pretty soon he could be eligible for the men's Eagles based on residency, if I have that correctly. Um, So San Diego Legion certainly wasting no time uh, getting back added after their run to the MLR final, which came up just a little bit short. AKP, any any thoughts, analysis on some of those moves so far? Yeah, I mean, it's all big name players getting re-signed, yeah. coming back, and, and a lot of USA eligible big signings, which is, is, is cool to see. You like to see teams sticking with those players and and giving them, giving them their due. Yeah, absolutely. The, the The men's eagle connection is really interesting, particularly as you know fans clamor for more matches for the men's eagles, and we'll talk about that in, in just a bit. As there's a little mini tournament coming up in Spain next month, um, 
But one more signing I want to call out here, um, and there's this is from reports over in France. So when you do Google Translate, make sure you hit the English, unless you can speak French, and I certainly cannot. But it sounds like the Miami Sharks are going to sign current Pumas fly half, Nicholas Sanchez, which would be interesting because uh, Miami is putting together quite the squad of international players, quite a few Pumas. AKP, I'm getting a little nervous about the Miami Sharks, just on paper and alone. Yeah, yeah. But then again, that's what we all thought about Chicago when they when they form their squad. I think it's, you know, like I always say, it's easy to get together 10 to 15 top quality names, but, but you need more than that. You need, you need the depth. You need the, the range of players. You can have the biggest stars, but it's a team sport ultimately. And Mm -hmm. we'll see how Miami fleshes out the rest of that roster you know, who they get as domestic players, who they have as, you know, who's coming off the bench and stuff like that. And that will make a huge difference to their success this season. So I'm holding, I'm withholding judgment. I'm not jumping to a conclusion too soon. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a pointed question here. I'm going to put you uh, on the hot seat here on this question. Miami Sharks in the 2024 MLR season, are they going to be more like Chicago Hounds in their inaugural season or the LA Giltinis in their first season in the league? Where on that spectrum are the Sharks going to fall? I'm going to guess more in between, like in between those two rather than on either okay. either extreme of the spectrum, but I would guess closer to Chicago. Okay. I'm going to go, I'm going to say the needle goes a little closer to LA where uh, it's going to be a, a competitive team that it's going to battle. Not that the other teams didn't battle, but what I mean I say competitive, like winning record, getting some early wins in the season, but we'll see. Uh, I get obviously very excited very early on in, in, in the offseason, but uh, we will <laughs> see about that. All right, AKP, I want to move over to some USA rugby news. I'm going to start with the women's Eagles. They kicked off the WXV competition. They're in the WXV2 they beat Samoa last Saturday, 36 to 26. I think a good, they needed a win. It was a good win. They put up yeah. a lot of points, 36, you know. They had to come back a little bit in that first half because I think Samoa actually had a lead through the first about 38 minutes or so. But um, they, the Women's Eagles play uh, Scotland on Friday morning, which should be a really good test because Samoa was ranked 15th in the world. Um, Scotland, I think, has got a little more infrastructure uh, with their game. They're ranked ninth in the world. So this should be a really good test match between the two sides and, and hopefully a good measuring stick for the women's Eagles as they look to build off that win over Samoa. But uh, AKP, I mean, this is the standard question that I have to ask. It may be cliche, but is this a must-win game? <laughs> <laughs> In some ways, the entire WXV2 feels like a must-win in a way that it wouldn't if they were in the WXV1 mm. because, you know, they they only just missed out on WXV1. They had, they had a real chance of making it in there. They feel like the team that has been left out in the way that, you know, like in the men's game, Australia 
missed the knockout stages of the World Cup, but you feel like they're one of the best nations not to have made the, the knockout stages. And it's like, you feel like the USA should be the team that is the country that is challenging to get into WXV1 when I, I assume there's promotion and relegation between those levels. And it, you feel like the Eagles have the chance to do that yeah. and they should be beating all of these teams. I mean, the USA is ranked seventh and the top six teams are in WXV1. And so they're the they're the best team, uh, the best of the rest. And that sort of makes you shouldn't be losing to any of these teams. Yeah. Now, you might it's going to happen. R- rugby is a sport and sport is random and, and things happen. And so you can't really expect them to win all of the matches, mm-hmm. but they should any individual match i'm going to say they should win it yeah and it's it's concerning if they don't yeah i guess you, you bring up a really good point right they're just outside of that wxv1 to get into the wxv1 they need to beat a team like scotland which is right now i think based on point differential they're they're top in the xv2 standings but a game certainly that um is winnable and they can win and should win so i'm excited to see i think that's an 8 a.m kickoff time eastern standard on Friday morning. So with your bowl of Cheerios, Honey Nut Cheerios, watch a little bit of that game. Uh, I think I'll be tuning in. How did you know the cereal that I eat? (laughs) Well, I eat my kids' cereal, so it's got to be Honey Nut Cheerios. Um, (laughs) Moving on to the men's Eagles. You know, this news came out two weeks ago. America's Rugby News reported it first, uh, that World Rugby was kind of backing, funding this, which I bring that up because it gets a little quirky here. But... uh, Next month, uh, in Spain, there's going to be uh, USA, Brazil, and Canada, and Spain. I think I got that. Yeah, got that right. Um, USA is going to play November 11th. They're going to play Brazil, and then based on how the the result of that game, they're either going to play the loser or winner of um, Spain versus Canada. So most people are like, okay, great. So, okay, two games, but why not a round robin? Why not play three games as opposed to just two games? Uh, but I guess for whatever reason, there wasn't funding for it. But anyway, this is the last two games on the calendar for the men's Eagles for the calendar year of 2023. Um, good that games are at least on the roster, but it seems like a couple of the uh, – Eagles overseas who are playing professionally may not be available for the game. So it looks like it's, again, maybe another opportunity for some younger players to, to step in and play there. But NKP, your thoughts on, on uh, this little mini tournament? It's sort of an odd one. It's like you say, it is weird that you don't just make it three, three games. It feels like two games feels very short for, taking a trip all the way out to Spain for, but I I don't know. It's weirder to me. I've been thinking overall about the structure of international rugby and it, the, the more I think about it, the weirder it gets. It's amazing how much it is dominated by the interests of a handful of nations and just the complete lack of any sort of structure in the international games. It feels like, we're always playing these random, you know, mini tournaments that don't have any greater meaning. 
we're playing random tests against random countries, whoever we happen to line up often earlier in the year. And it takes me back to a an interview I heard with the CEO of USA Rugby. And um, he was saying about how it's it's difficult to monetize the USA, the Eagles, as a as a team producing sports content because you don't know what content they're going to produce and things like this. You know, we all thought it was going to be a three match round robin a few weeks ago, and now it's not that far away. And yet now we're learning that it's a two match tournament thing, and it's just. How do you sell this? Why is it so random? How hard is it for US for World Rugby to just say this is the structure? And and especially for these the the tier two nations, like give us a structure. Say this is this is gonna be and the the ARC was that, the uh, America's Rugby Championship. We played that with, you know, us, Canada and the South American nations, and it was a great thing provided structure you knew what was going on you knew when those games were being played you knew who you were going to play it was that sort of clarity is just missing from world rugby it feels world rugby feels like it's some guy throwing it together on paper um and then you know all the figure out the details later and it it just it feels chaotic and not the good sort of chaotic. Yeah, a couple of points on that quickly. Um, on the America's Rugby Challenge, you know, people have been clamoring for for bringing that back, and I guess that the issues are stemmed from the whole North America South America divide over the last World Rugby Chairman vote. You know, North America voted one way, South America voted another way. But it's uh, myself and Bill Baker on last week's U.S. Rugby Happy Hour Live. We chatted with Dan Lyle about a couple of things and. Dan, wealth of knowledge and opinions and ideas on growing the game here in the U.S. And he said that the America's Rugby Challenge is coming back. I think this was confirmed, but it's not going to be at the senior test level. It's going to be more like a under-20s, which I guess if you think about it, if you're looking towards U.S. hosting the Rugby World Cup in 2031, the U-20, there's going to be players coming out of that, out of that age group. So I can see that making sense. Okay, fine. The... World Rugby is helping USA Rugby, right? They're providing money and resources and stuff, which is great. Okay, cool. The Ross Young's point, yeah, there needs to be more of a calendar year so we know when games are being played. They also need to be in the U.S. And I almost wonder if this little mini tournament was World Rugby kind of saying, hey, Spain, sorry here, saying it without saying it, right? Because they kind of, maybe they messed things up a little bit with making Spain ineligible for the Rugby World Cup because they had qualified, but there was... One player who lied on an eligibility thing, and he played like a few minutes here and there, did not really have a big impact on the game. World Rugby ruled that Spain is ineligible for the Rugby World Cup, which is, I think, how Portugal was able to get back into the mix. But you look at that, and you look at some of these other like tier one nations and some of their player eligibility shenanigans that are going on, and you almost wonder if this was, uh, and maybe just a small way, World Rugby kind of throwing a bone to Spain, saying, hey, sorry about what happened. Let's see how we can ease things over. But there needs to be regular scheduled matches here in the U.S. One, for the players to play, but two, just for fans to get excited. Or even non-fans who have no idea about the sport to realize that though there's a, there's, a, there's a match going on that we can take a look at. So I'm rambling here. But uh, to your larger point, yeah, there's 
doesn't seem to be that structure that's sorely needed, particularly as, you know, 2031 is not that far away. Like it's, it's going to come up on us faster than we know it. Yeah, absolutely. Whew. Um, all right, AKP, we got to move on and talk a little bit. Rugby World Cup from this last weekend. I don't know how your boys keep getting it done, but England has somehow <laughs> gotten their way into the semifinals. Honestly, that was that was an interesting match against Fiji, particularly after the the result that Fiji put on England before the tournament, right? Getting their yeah. first win in whatever many years that decades that was. And I know we joked a little bit at the end of last episode about AKP, tell me how England's going to win the Rugby World Cup, but they're one match away from getting to the finals, and who they're playing South Africa is a team that they placed that they played right in the finals of the 2019 Rugby World Cup. And look, England has been constantly overlooked and dogged this entire tournament, myself included. I've raised my hand. I've been dogging and trashing them the entire 2023 Rugby World Cup, but darn it if they just keep on winning. AKP, what is going on in English rugby? Because this, Is this the saving grace? I mean, it, it's one of those where I think ever since their first match it's just been clear it's or it's been it's been hard to judge them it's just like they they've been doing what needs to be done they've been getting it done they clearly have talent on the on the team they clearly you can't quite say that they're not can they're not going to to win they you, Every instinct says, "Oh, they're not that good. They're not going to win. They're this is they're playing trash rugby." But then some party is just niggling and saying, "Yeah, but that's what we thought before, and look where they are." And you just you can't quite say, "Oh, there's no chance," because there there is there is just that chance that they're going to pull something out and. You know, they could absolutely BS their way into a World Cup here. And it, it would be hilarious, to be honest. It would just be funny yeah. for... It would be, the in some ways, the worst outcome. And in other ways, just incredibly hilarious. The team that no one wanted to win, no one expected to win, and then somehow they just end up with the, the trophy in their hands. AKP, this semifinal on Saturday could set the sport back 20 years because it could be the ugliest, slowest, most boringest, box-kickingest game of all time, something to the tune of like 9-7 to seven or something, you know, maybe one try, like a penalty try awarded and just a bunch of like shots at goal. And or maybe there'll be a drop, a drop goal opportunity here and there, but man, oh man. But part of me is kind of rooting for it because of, because of everything that's swirling around it. Look, I, I like South Africa. I think they're they're a fine team. I I want to see other nations win a, a rugby World Cup. So, and of the four teams left, the only one could be really Argentina. And good luck against New Zealand. Who we'll get in that Ireland game in a second. But man, if I'm kind of rooting for England in this match, I'm not going to lie. I'm rooting for England. This is the one match of this whole tournament where I'm rooting for England to win this match. And I think a lot of people are too, which is crazy. Yeah. It's uh, I feel like you sort of have to just to avoid, you know, 
I mean, the alternative is South Africa goes through into the final, and if we assume New Zealand gets in, I mean, the South African New Zealand final is that really what we all wanted? It'll be a great match. It'll be a, it'll be a spectacle for sure. Oh, spectacular! But, but it's, yeah. it's it just lacks any narrative yeah. excitement. Yeah. Although, if New Zealand wins and the New Zealand fan base is forced to consider that maybe Foster is a decent coach. Yeah. There'll be a sort of there'll be a lot of fun to have on have on Reddit after that and see everyone try and rationalize their way around that one. I mean, a couple more points on this. One heartbreaking for host nation France. I mean, the the injuries that they had and the way they were able to battle and still play and a couple of things could have gone their way in that South Africa match, but I mean, hats off to them. They played phenomenal. They're such a fun team to watch. Heartbreaking for Ireland. Uh Gosh, that's that 40, 38 some phase, just like, let's try and get close. Let's just a couple meters here, a couple meters are there. And they just, you know, New Zealand shut it down. And uh, in the back of my mind, I think a lot spectacular, of spectacular, yeah. though. Yeah. yeah. A spectacular match of rugby. Such a, that might be yeah. the best ma- rugby match I've and ever it, seen. And it's crazy. To th- I will rewatch yeah. that one. And it's crazy to think about, like, Sexton played such a pivotal role in that game, and I hate to pinpoint one particular play, but man, that missed, that missed penalty, which you know, nine times out of ten, Johnny's probably going to make that right, and it just squeaks to the side. Whew. What a match, though. I mean, but you know, again, I feel like rugby fans got robbed because it fantastic quarterfinal matches, but like those were worthy of a semifinal. Those were worthy of a of a final. Yeah. Unfortunately, we saw it in the quarterfinal, and I just hope the standard, you know, how can you how can you follow that up these next two rounds? Um, it'll be interesting. See, and then the last point here is just Argentina, particularly, you know, after their first game, right? You know, the, I think Argentina did not start when, you know, and for them to battle back and maybe kind of fly under the radar here, and they may be in the best position out of, you know, they may be in that position of England here where people are overlooking them. Um, and and yeah. that'd be a good place to be against New Zealand. New Zealand's not going to overlook anyone, but you know, in my mind, an Argentina England final, I'd be okay with that. You know, yeah, the storyline. That's what I'll be cheering for. Yeah. That would be, that would be, that would be different at least. Yeah, in that case, I would have. I'm sorry, AKP, I have to switch back to to cheering for for Argentina. You know. That's fine. I would be I would be perfectly happy for Argentina to walk away with the, yeah. the trophy. All right. AKP. Do you think the final this isn't the this isn't the final thought yet? I'm getting right to the I'll get to the final thought in just a second, but do you think it's going to be a New Zealand versus South Africa final? It's the intellectual part of my brain says that's the most likely outcome. That's if I if if you told me like you've got to bet all your life savings on you've got to pick one pick one matchup for the finals and bet all your life savings on it I would I would bet on New Zealand and South Africa but I wouldn't I would be very tense and very uh, concerned. Okay, all right. Final thoughts, AKP. You're Steve Borthwick. What is the game plan for England to beat South Africa on Saturday? I think the game plan has got to be play slow, boring, terrible rugby. Because, I mean, South Africa's got 
some speed demons. Well, they've got they've got the forward pack to match up with a little bit of that slow, boring game. Um, so, you know, it may come down to uh, a discipline situation, a yellow or red. Who makes best use of how to to manage the red cards? Yeah. New Zealand played phenomenally down. What I think there were twenty minutes in that Ireland match where they were down a man, and they only gave up a, a few points maybe here and there. So, uh, yeah. But sorry, I, I interrupted you there in your final thought. Oh yeah, no worries. Um, I think, it, like you say, discipline is going to be important. So I would, I would take Farrell off the field. I would personally just never play him in an England jersey ever again. If it were up to me. But, but seriously, I mean, you look at the way he, he darn near lost that, that game against Fiji, England playing a defense again, like every match, all of the matches were great, came down to the last, the last sort of drive of the game. And, you know, Fiji had the ball, all England had to do was not commit a penalty. And what is, what does Farrell do? Intentionally knock the ball on. And clearly intentionally knock the ball in. It's just, the man is a liability and I don't get why England puts him on the field. And I think that, you know, play a safe game and play a smothering game and really suck all life and fun out of that that game and do some English magic, voodoo, whatever, and somehow end up with more points on the board. And that's that's really the strategy. I tell you what, I, I kind of like that. I'd slot George Ford in at 10, and I would look for every single opportunity across the midfield to, to try a drop goal. I would I would, yeah. I would have him, yep. any chance you get, any little window, kick it, try it. I want you to try 15 of them. <laughs> try it, kick it, you make it, good, and we get the ball back. You miss it, okay, reset, what, the, you know, get the ball gets back to you. You, you, you got to go almost con- unconventional here and just make sure you keep the ball out of South Africa's hands here. George Ford, baby. Yeah. Get that, get that boot ready to go because you're going to kick 25 points in this game or something like that. You know, can't even do math right, but yeah. Yeah. Play the whole game in the South Africa half. <sighs> AKP, exciting stuff this weekend. Wherever you're watching it, there's certainly no lack of drama going into this final round. And I think, hey, Argentina and England are getting overlooked here. Could they peep in a, an upset here? I guess we will find out. I know AKP will be watching it. I'll be watching it as well. Excited to uh, cut up this episode and next week when we talk about more Old Glory DC player signings, inevitably. But for my co-host, Alistair Kirschpool, I am John Fitzpatrick. And we'll catch you next week. Wow.